0: you Geber with another Jewish History Soundbites podcast and um today we'll t- speak a little bit about um Remendel of Riminov and his influence in the early Hasidus his yard site was just now the day after Lag BaOmer you tests uh, er and um and there's also a good reason for that he uh as we'll see he he Was very, very much dedicated to the poor people, collecting money for them, caring for them. Um, He darshaned for 12 years at his Titian about Parshas Haman of Parnassa, taking care of the poor. And he, um, you know, said the famous gulu about reading Parshas Haman, the week of Parshas Peshalach, which every successive year I notice becomes more and more popular and um, he dies the day after lag baimer and according to a lot of sfaram uh, lag baimer in the midbar was the day that the man started to come down some others say that so incredibly enough the man which is the parsha which is something he always spoke about starts on lag baimer and he dies the next day so that's that's his yard site he was a tremendous Talmud chacham he, according to one source at least, he learned by Reb Daniel, by Daniel, Reb Daniel, <laughs> uh base medrash in Berlin, um, where the Prima Primagodim, by the way, learned, and other famous people. But he got very into Hasidus at a young age. He even met the Magid, but he was um, like many of the other young and budding Talmud, the Chacham of his time, they were brought into Hasidus by Reb Shmuel Shmelke of Nickelsburg. And he eventually makes it to the Rebbe Reb Melech, the Noam Eli Melech, and he's the one of his four main Talmidim. When the Rebbe Reb dies, they said that the Remendler of Riminov got his neshama. He got his koyach, his special soul. He was in Freestock before he moved to Riminov, and he was actually the Rabbi in Freestock. He was a big Talmud Chacham, a big Bal Halacha. He was very into the Shulchan Aruch and the Halacha. That was actually um, part of his main avoid in Hasidus was was the diktuk ha the diktuk in, in the Shulchan Aruch. He also was a, even beyond ha He was the first, what we would call a kanoi. He was the first one in the chasidish, in the, the tenuas ha in the movement, who would, could be branded to a certain extent a kanoi. It was in his personality, in his, his style. He made lots of takonois, a lot of ordinances that he made about lifestyles, about... Clothing, fashion, about uh, women's jewelry, and uh, you know, and, and that he felt was appropriate for the changing times, and he felt it was his responsibility to uh, to uh, be aware of and and uh, create parameters for. He the the tzaddikim of his day spared no praise for him. They said he's the source of YerushaMayim. The tefillas that went on in Rimenev. everyone was of him. People came from all over. And interestingly enough, he was succeeded not by one of his sons, but actually by his Gabai. He was known as Rabbi Hirsh Meshurais, the meshurais the helper, the one who ran his Beis Medesh, ran his Chaser, who helped him out. One of the rare times in the history of Hasidus that a Gabai, that a Meshores, someone who was just a helper, but was really a hidden, someone who was a tremendous tzaddik and who was so a real, a real uh, special person, and he succeeded the rebbe as the rebbe. That actually caused quite a bit of a controversy in the Hasidic world at the time because the it had already become accepted that at worst uh, a prized Talmud should become um, the succeed the rebbe, but ideally the son or the son-in-law it should stay in the family. And here the Meshares, the Gabai he becomes the Rebbe, so it actually caused quite a bit of controversy until he became more accepted, and that model was not really repeated by, uh, by any other court um, um, in that, at that time in, in Hasidus. But Remendelo, one of the most interesting aspects of his leadership as a Rebbe came in his later years um, with the Napoleonic Wars. Now, Napoleon and the Jewish people is a long story in itself. Maybe that's for another time. Napoleon wanted to emancipate the Jews. Napoleon created a Sanhedrin in Paris. Napoleon came during his invasion of Eretz by Akko in 1799. There are all types of rumors about he wanted to give some sort of uh, autonomous region for Jewish statehood, which is probably an unfounded rumor. But the fact that they even created a rumor like that says something about Napoleon and his relationship to the Jews itself. But beyond the Napoleon's relationship with the Jews, the Jewish people have succeeded in creating so many legends about him actually meeting Jews and especially Jewish leaders. There's all kinds of um, stories about his alleged meeting with Rabbi Nachman of Bresla when he was in Eretz Yisro, about him meeting the Alter Rebbe or his principal Hasidim, there's even a legend, you know, the Litvaks, they don't want to be left far behind in this, you know, the Hasidim had had made enough stories about Napoleon and their Rebbes, so they have another legend about Napoleon meeting Reb Chaim Velazhiner and asking him if he's going to win his war with Russia. And Reb Chaim Velazhiner obviously accurately predicting that he's going to lose, and he gives him a whole mushal with horses about how the Grand Army, of napoleon is composed of of army of soldiers from all over europe so it's as if their horses pulling in different directions each one trying to be stronger than the next whereas the peasants horses is two simple weak horses not strong mighty beautiful horses like the rich man had but those two horses know how to pull together and that's the russian army so that was Rabbi Chaim Balejner's alleged uh, meeting with with Napoleon. Also, he allegedly uh, met a group of Jews on Tisha B'av and saw them mourning the Beit Hamikdash. There's all kinds of these these um, this mythology surrounding uh, Napoleon. Adkade that I I came to the conclusion that the reason that Napoleon's Grand Army lost the the march on Moscow in 1812. When they invaded Russia, and eventually Tsar Alexander defeated him back and destroyed the Napoleonic armies, and eventually he ends up in exile on the Saint Helens Island, and that kind of ends his career. So why did that happen? Because he was so busy meeting with Jewish leaders, he wasn't able to run his army. That's the theory that I was able to come up with, that uh, that maybe he you know he met more gedolim than your average American. The tourists come when they come for Sukkot with their family. He met more during his Russia invasion. So, um, so Napoleon and the Jews is quite an interesting story in itself. And the the Jews in Eastern Europe, when Napoleon uh, invaded and and uh, and and invades Russia, they ascribed tremendous messianic fervor to this. And Ramban of Riminov did it more than any other tzaddik. In Europe at the time, Ramban said this is Milchomes Goy Gu Napoleon is Goigu He's bringing Mashiach, and we have to dive in and make sure that he wins. And uh, this is this is this is this is it. This is the last stage. Mashiach is going to come at the this final climactic um, cataclysmic um, battle between Tsar Alexander of Russia and Napoleon. Mashiach has to come. Now, um, because of the war, a lot of people were losing their, their livelihood, their living, their pogroms, their armies coming through, and the Jewish life was in danger. So Remendel of Rimenov's Talmud, or Aftoli of Rapshitz, he says, but Jewish people are going to get hurt, they'll get killed, how can we daven for Napoleon's success? And Remendel of Rimenov says, the damage, the long-term damage to the Jewish people, if Mashiach doesn't come, is much worse and Mashiach has to come at all expense, and therefore we have to daven for Napoleon. And the tzaddikim of Poland supported Napoleon. The Kazhnitz the Choyz of Lublin, and others, and the Tali of Rapshitz, was the only one in Poland who disagreed. He went and tried to convince the Kajnitzer to stop backing him. And um, and uh, and uh, that's a whole a whole story in itself about the Rosh Hashanah and the blowing the shofar in Rosh Hashanah, and really it has to do with. The Alter Rebbe of Chabad, the the um, the Balatanyer Zalman of Liadi, he supported Tsar Alexander, and he supported the Russia, and he was the one who eventually did win. So the Alter Rebbe was kind of vindicated, and everyone else was 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 eventually wrong. And um, and th- that story is fascinating because the Alter Rebbe. Um the question is why did the Alter Rebbe support someone like the Tsar if it was so tough for the Jews under the Tsar why would he support the Tsar and the answer given based on a letter that probably is is a forgery it's probably not written by the Alter Rebbe but the this letter was accepted by many mainstream historians by definitely everyone in in the uh, in the in followers of the Alter Rebbe was that was that the the Alter Rebbe wrote um that it's better to have Tsar Alexander where it's not good Gashmias, but at least we have, we're able to stay Jews, we're able to stay enclosed in our communities, in our kehilas, in our towns, in our Shtetls, and therefore the Ruchnias, the spirituality, the spiritual Jewish life of the Jews won't suffer. Whereas if we're under Napoleon, he's going to give us emancipation, and that will be followed by assimilation. For many, many reasons which I'm not going to go into now, It seems that the Alter Rebbe never wrote such a letter. And a lot of proof is otherwise, is that he had much better reasons to support Tsar Alexander over Napoleon. And it was actually much better for the Ruchnius and the Gashmius of the Jewish peoples. In general, the Alter Rebbe cared about the Gashmius of the Jewish people. And if they were going to suffer, he's not the type that would want the Jewish people to suffer. And he definitely cared for them and was like a father to them. And it's not the type of thing that he would want, but there's much better proofs than that. Um, But we have to see things in context. Why? Because we can't look at the czars of Russia as one uniform idea. The czars of Russia were over 150 years, lots of different people, lots of different periods of time. Tsar Alexander should not be mixed up with Tsar Nikolai who succeeded him. Tsar Nikolai was terrible for the Jews. The Cantonist decrees were under Tsar Nikolai, forced expulsions of the Jews from certain areas in the Russian Empire, the Pale of Settlement, and many, many other things happened under Tsar Nikolai. Tsar Alexander was actually, especially in his early stage, was actually a dream come true for the Jews. With the collapse of the Polish Kingdom, with the partitions of Poland at the end of the 17th, at the end of the eighteenth century, excuse me, it brought stability to Poland. the instability that the Jews suffered with the collapse of the Polish kingdom was not good for them. Instability in general is not good for the economy, it's not good for anti-Semitism, pogroms, and other things. And the Tsar brought stability. Not only that, but in 1804, he passed a whole legislation in regards to the Jewish communities of Russia. And one of the main pieces of that legislation that changed the world of Hasidus forever... Was that he officially legalized Hasidus, recognized as a stream of Judaism within the Jewish people? A lot of it had to do with the Alter Rebbe's imprisonment, imprisonment both times when he went to prison because um, of the Malshinus of the of the um, the Misnagdim, and he ended up in prison, and he explained what Hasidus is and that. And, uh, and his position in Hasidus to the czarist officials and the police, and it went into the record. That definitely had an influence, but there were lots of other reasons as well. But when push came to shove, they were legally allowed to have their own shechita. They were legally allowed to have their own minyanim, their own shtiblach. And this is ultimately what caused the final cause. There were lots of other causes. Um, the Vilna Goyen's passing in 1798 was also a cause. But in 1804, with this new legislation, it definitely ended the violent phase of the Hisnagdas, of the opposition to Hasidus that had lasted for over 30 years. And now they're recognized as an entity. There wasn't much anyone can do about it. So in the Altar Rebbe's mind, Tsar Alexander was good. And he was going to help the stability of the Jewish people. He was going to help the Hasidic movement. And that was one of the reasons he supported him. He, would, he thought it would, and he believed it would be good for the Ruchnius and the Gashmius of the Jewish people. Not only that, but he believed that Napoleon would be quite bad for the Jewish people, not only in the Ruchnius because of emancipation, which is definitely true, and he definitely believed that, but he also felt it would be bad for the Jews because of Napoleon, because of all the economic ruin that the war would bring and the change of power would bring and the ongoing battles would bring and it would ruin the economy, it would ruin, it would ruin the stability of Jewish life, and he definitely opposed Napoleon because of that as well. He even went into exile. He followed the Russian troops into exile, he got protection from the Russian army. That's why when we go with the groups, ironically, Remendel of Rimanov's Kevr is quite easy to get to. We're in Poland, it's not far from Lezhensk, it's not far from Dinov, it's on the route now from Poland down through Slovakia to Karestir, if you want to do both on one trip, so we usually stop in Riminov on the way. Riminov is basically on the Slovakian borders. So Yolagentz, Dinov, Riminov, and then we're almost there by Karestir. So that's like very central. It's very easy to get to his kever by Ramenda of Riminov. By the Rebbe, it's it's very difficult. We're in the Ukraine first of all, and then to get to Hadich where he is is hours and hours away on lousy roads to. Past Kiev, three and a half hour ride from Kiev, and we only the few brave groups that we managed to bring out there to get to the altar, And they always complain, "Why is he so far?" The reason is he's so far is because he died while he was in exile, and he ran very deep east into this exile, and that's why he's buried out in this Favorfina place of Hadich. I, um, getting back to Rimenov, though, remnant of Rimenov left a tremendous imprint on Galicia Hasidis on Polish Chassidus. I, I recently interviewed a, a very special Holocaust survivor, Meishe, Meishe Bart, in Yerushalayim. And he grew up in Rimenov. And uh, talking about a Yid who lived in Rimenov, remembers people coming to Rimendalus kever before the war. He remembers Rimendalus of Rimanov's Beis Medrash, where it was. And he asked him if his bar mitzvah was there. He said his was in the main community shul, but it was not far from Remendel of Rimenov's uh, little shtibel that he remembered in, in, in Rimenov itself. So between Remendel of Rimenov and the Alta Rebbe, eventually Napoleon did lose, but, the, but Remendel of Rimenov wanted to bring Mashiach. He didn't give up, by the way. He kept working for it, and even after Napoleon was defeated, they decided to do it the next year. The great three Talmidim, of the Na'ama melech uh, who lived in Poland, the Koshnitzer Magid, the Chayes of Lublin, and Rambanov Rimanov, they decided they're going to bring it in in the next year, in 1815. Uh, what they called Eretz Rasha, there was uh, the land was stormy, was noisy. Rasha, tremendous upheaval because those three tzaddikim died in the same year. They were unable to bring Mashiach. They decided they're going to bring it on Simchas Torah. On a day, two days actually before Sukkot, the Kajnetzer Maggit died. So once he was out of the equation, um, it wasn't able to happen. And that's when the great Nefila, the great fall of the Chayza, which is definitely a topic in itself. It's not something that we can get into now. And it was up to Remendel on his own and he did not give up. He kept on trying on his own, uh, but it was unsuccessful So Remendela represents not only Parshas Hamon and bringing Parnassah for the Jewish people, but also that that desire, that never-ending desire, that we need Mashiach, that we have to bring Mashiach, and we're going to do anything we can to bring it So Schisa Yugen Alayni, Remendela of Rimenov. That's um, today's podcast, Yehuda Geber. You can email me at ygebss at gmail.com, but don't forget to subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes or Google Play Google, Google Music Play, uh, Spotify. Don't miss an episode of our podcast. There. And if you enjoy them, which you should, there's no reason you shouldn't, give us a five-star rating, share with your friends and family, follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and we hope you enjoy.